0: On this episode of Daily Horror Notes, we dive into 1982 horror and we talk about all things, practical effects, and I love it. Your last night today notes, presented by Home Sideways. Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? You and me don't do castle Sometimes an insect will evolve to mimic its predator. Always check your candy. Groovy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways Movie Podcast. My name is Adam and these are my daily horror notes where I talk all things horror for the month of October. Really excited to kick off week two here. We are going back to 1982, but let me just recap what we did last week. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you go back to 2002. We talk about the ring. We talk about Scooby Doo. We talk about Ghost Ship. Really fun episode to dive into 2002 horror. And I'm really liking this month. I've seen a lot of horror movies recently, especially preparing for these episodes. And this is the month where we usually watch a lot too. So, been really kind of cool to dive into the, this genre. Current current watches that don't aren't celebrating anniversaries. We watched Hocus Pocus two, pretty fun movie. Rob Zombie's The Monsters, Uh not as fun, but uh, his wife is really good in it. Uh, Mrs. Zombie. Drawing a blank on the other films that I had watched, but anyway, it's it's just jump into this episode today. In uh, 1982, uh, the two first uh, revisits rather are Poltergeist and Halloween three: Season of the Witch. Kind of a An odd one to throw out there for Halloween, but it's an important movie because it's the one Halloween film that you could probably watch without having to endure a bunch of Mike Myers films that you may not be interested. This is kind of an anthology film, so really interesting watch, especially the way that they wanted to take the franchise, but the fan uproar. Outraged, if you will, it kind of made him go back to Mike Myers, which I'm on board for. <laughs> so, but anyway, Halloween season of The Witch, Halloween 3, and Poltergeist will be the revisits. Really fun revisits as well. The first time watch is a Paul Schrader film called Cat People. Uh, only person I know that had seen it was Zach. He put it in his top 10, and I had heard some good things about it, and I saw it on a bunch of horror lists, so I was like, okay, well, let's give it a shot. And we'll, I have some thoughts on that film. And as always, make sure you guys check the show notes to find out where these films are streaming so that you can experience them along with me and have a lot of fun because these are these pretty good movies for the most part. We'll talk about, <laughs> talk about them shortly. Make sure you guys share, review, and subscribe on wherever you're listening to it so that we can be heard by more people. Because it's a lot of fun We love talking about movies And join the conversation on Twitter with us At Almost Sideways Okay, got all the mumble jumbo out of the way Let's dive into some horror We're going to kick it off with our headline review today And that is Toby Hooper's Poltergeist The house looks just like the one next to it And the one next to that And the one next to that A young couple live in it Give Ken a kiss (laughs) <laughs> you are so them With their three children. each bite ten times? <laughs> and something more. Hello. They're here. Sweetie, remember last night? Do you remember when you woke up and you yeah. said you were here? Well, who did you mean? Who's here? TV people. Something's funny going on here next door. Something, uh. We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. What, what kind of disturbances? I don't know what is over this house. now steven spielberg crosses a frightening new threshold into a world within our own its form is revealed what is it its focus is clear what scares you poltergeist is directed by toby hooper and sees the writing talents of steven spielberg michael graeus and mark victor write the a wonderful screenplay for this film and also has an all-star cast of joel beth williams heather o'rourke craig t nelson beatrice Strait, dominic dune oliver robbins along with several other really good character actors there as well Uh, Toby Hooper, let's start off with you right now. Uh, You have pushed the boundaries of what horror can be for a PG film. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Toby Hooper has directed one of my favorite horror films of all time in my top 100, and that is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That came out in 1974, and eight years later, you directed a really great movie here called Poltergeist. It would be interesting to see what Spielberg would have done with a horror film mind you. And I, I can see a world where in some multiverse he probably did this movie and did a really good job with it. But there's something to say about a horror director who is known for a really brutal family dynamic in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but turns it around full uh, completely with a really strong family dynamic in the absolute best ways possible in Poltergeist. Without Joe Beth Williams and Craig T. Nelson leading the way as these parents trying to find their daughter. I don't think we would have that such a strong dynamic. These are some really great performances in this movie. And the movie relies on one thing alone and it's a strong family tie to be able to save their kids and be able to to get them out of this really bad spot that is a house full of demonic beings and ghosts. If you haven't seen Poltergeist in a long time, I would strongly encourage you to go seek it out. Because I think it's definitely worth a watch. Especially if you're looking for some good scares. And, you know, it's not like jump horror. There's some tension with them. And even myself, after not seeing it for such a long time, there were some scares that were rather effective here. If you haven't seen this movie in a long time, the synopsis here on IMDb. A family's home is haunted by a host of demonic ghosts. Really simple, really quick to the point. It also is a horror thriller film here, there. And again, PG, Toby Hooper, man, I don't know how he did it, but there are scenes in here that I'm like, this would definitely be at least a PG-13 rating uh, today. Uh, Heck, they even made a remake of this movie that was a PG-13 film, was Sam Rockwell. I saw that in theater, fun enough film, but nothing as close to this original film here. This is a franchise movie that it doesn't really get talked about too much because with Poltergeist two and three, uh, and I haven't seen those movies either. But with this watch, I definitely am intrigued to go and watch these movies. Uh, going into what Toby Hooper was really able to do with these scares and these thrills here, was there sequences in here that really kind of have the the factor of having these practical effects really pay dividends here. And around this time too, there's a movie called The Thing, one of my favorite fil- my favorite film of 1982 that really rely heavily of, with the practical effects. They're not really diving into that CG element too much yet. There is some CG stuff that does happen in Poltergeist. but talking about The Thing here, though that movie is known for having practical effects that are really stand the test of t- test of time here. And in 82, that's the kind of like the king of practical effects for horror. Poltergeist did a really great job, especially this one sequence where one of these uh, people that do come to the Freelings house, who is a kind of a paranormal detective, I guess, if you will. They kind of check the signs and they uh, set up their cameras and they investigate the house to make sure that it's possessed or not. Uh, he goes to the, the kitchen for some food, I guess, and he gets kind of taken over for a moment. And he starts digging his into his face because he sees something there and he starts going to the the bone uh, really creepy, really hard to watch scene but I couldn't take my eyes off it because of how great those practical effects are seeing something that they don't rely on the CGI, I feel like definitely now, and that's one of the things that hurt with the remake is that they do over rely on CGI you can see that all over with horror films nowadays, especially with like the Conjuring movies being so popular and this, all the multiple spin-offs and like I said the Poltergeist remake has a bunch of um, CGI elements there too they're not as effective they rely on those jump scares and this one there's a slow building tension to some of those some really effective scares is this the scariest movie ever made no not by a long shot but it does pack a punch where it needs to the one thing I don't want to overshadow here with some of these the scares here is that the film isn't really built on them it's built on a strong family dynamic and Joe, going back to Joe Beth Williams and Craig T. Nelson here they just are two wonderful actors cast perfectly in this role to play these parents of the Freelings. Uh, Running out this family dynamic, too, we see actors Heather O'Rourke, Dominic Dune, and Oliver Robbins uh, play the, the kids of the Freelings here. The big headliner here is Heather O'Rourke's performance as Caroline Freeling. She's the one that first is kind of drawn to this disturbance of these ghosts and of the TV people, as she calls them, and she has that iconic line of, they're here. Uh, Really kind of a really great performance here. And she's one of the actors, again, they did come back for Poltergeist 2, but she was the one actress who played all three movies of the Poltergeist original trilogy. The sad part is, is that she had passed away before Poltergeist 3 actually was released. She got sick and had some really kind of health concerns and I did kind of research it a little bit. And it was rather sad to see. She was only 12 years old when she passed and i know there was a conspiracy theory that kind of this movie kind of sparked her death here but it's just regardless however she died it is sad because i think that there is some talent there she does a really good job as this child performer here and i can see her if she was still alive probably being considered as one of the better child performers or performances or performers as well uh, but anyway, she does a really good job rounding out the cast. Dominique Dune as Dana, the older uh, sibling here, and Oliver Robbins as Robbie do a really good job. They convey a really uh, again the dynamics of what siblings would be in that situation. Uh, even where it's a heartbreaking little line of dialogue that Robbie brings out says, "If uh, if I'm to die, can I go and find my sister to bring her back home?" A really strong thing that just shows that this family is really a unit that is really strong and wants to have the best for each other even if they put themselves at harm's way. Uh, really kind of, really cool. And I think that's something that is underrated in this, this film here. Another thing that I that I really loved about it is that it's completely 80s. And it's, a, it's it's way it's told, because there's a lot of 80s callbacks, especially the kids' room of Caroline and Robbie's room here. It's really 80s-inspired, and you can get a lot of cool nostalgia feels if you go watch this movie. Uh, one actor I haven't mentioned is uh, Beatrice Strait's character of Dr. Leash. Uh, or Lesh. Uh, she is kind of the head paranormal uh, investigator, and I, I couldn't help but draw a comparison to like nowadays. Did they these people do are, are people are real and they do investigate these houses but we see a lot of that now in some like insidious and the conjuring movies there's some kind of uh inspiration that they do bring for poltergeist because one of the characters in like i believe it's insidious looks kind of just like one of the actors here in poltergeist craziest thing that about this movie is not just the practical effects. There's awesome family dynamic. I found it's like a eerie con- um, parallel to ET with Poltergeist is that the neighborhood looks so eerily similar to the, the neighborhood in ET that what was Elliot in a different part of this housing development at the same time as this event. It'd be really fun to <laughs> see if that actually was true. I, probably not, but I just, I, this looks so eerily similar, similar. It's just, it's kind of, to think about all right let's dive into the budget of the film real quick let's see how much money it was made for and uh how much it made as well movie came out on june 4th 1982 and had a budget of 10 million eight hundred thousand dollars very low budget like these horror movies are made constantly worldwide gross though only 77 million dollars it's weird here on IMDb. It says gross U.S. Canada is $77 million, too. So it makes me wonder if this movie was not released overseas, just in the U.S. and Canada. Very interesting how much money it would make if it was released overseas. Probably something with the ghost. Did not, didn't, demonic ghost probably would have. Maybe, maybe it limited to some countries. Who knows? Not 100% sure there. But it was nominated for three Oscars here as well. We're going to dive into that. Before we talk about the Oscars, it was nominated for one, Bafton. It actually won that category. It won for Best Special Effects. And the other big award show that it was nominated for was the Academy Awards. Three Oscars here nominated for Best Effects, Visual Effects rather, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Music Original Score for Jerry Goldsmith. Now if you go to almostsideways.com and look at the awards it was nominated for, some really tough competition that probably Poltergeist wasn't going to win either category, but it's really awesome to see its inclusion there, considering it is a horror film, which kind of gets overlooked a lot most of the time. The first nomination here we're going to talk about is visual effects. It won for the BAFTA, right? So it should have been in the running But E.T. won the Oscar here, and also Blade Runner, the Ridley Scott film. Two two other movies in my top 100. Love those two films to death. But Poltergeist, really good nomination here. Sound Editing, it got E.T. won as well. Doz Boots and Poltergeist, so we'll round out the other nominations here. And Original Score, we're going to go down here. uh, E.T. won this as well. uh, Gandhi Officer and a Gentleman, Poltergeist, and Sophie's Choice round out the rest of the category here. Uh, Really cool that it even got nominated for anything, so just tough competition. Really good to see that a film like this is going to stand the test of time with some Oscar love here. Uh, this wouldn't be a horror episode if we didn't talk about the horror film awards here. It actually had some winners here and some nominees for 1982. It won Best Horror Film for 1982, which is cool. Uh, Best Supporting Actress for Zelda Rubstein, which we didn't talk about here her there. But also Best Makeup for Dorothy J. Pearl. Really good job. I think that goes into the practical effects here. Uh, nominees for this uh, nominees, but didn't win here. Best Actress for Joe uh, jo Beth Williams. Uh, Toby Hooper for Best Director and Best Music for Jerry Goldsmith really cool to see those nominations for these awards here and who who did Zelda Rubinstein play let's go take a look here Because I did not mention her in our, our our list here let's take a look here Sel- oh yes okay Tangina yes okay so Zelda Tan- Rubinstein's character in this movie Totally forgot to mention her. She gets called in by Doctor Leash, uh, Beatrice Straight's character, to be as like this ex second opinion on this house. Awesome little character here. I actually really liked, uh, Ten-, 10 Gina, a really good performance there, and awesome to see that she actually won Best Supporting Actress. That's really cool. I really dig that. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, but any closing Poltergeist for me is a film that really pushes the boundaries of what PG and horror can do together in collaboration. And Toby Hooper does a great job with this. The great family dynamics. I really love Poltergeist. It's definitely worth a watch here. I currently have it three stars. That's probably where I'll lie for right now. Uh, because I, I, even though I really loved different elements of it, there is some moments where I, just, I want to see a little bit more of these hauntings. And I think that's why maybe I have to dig into the, the sequels here and do some more uh, investigating of this franchise. It'd be very interesting to go take a look here. But anyway, go check out Poltergeist if you haven't. And let's jump into our next 1982 review. That is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. Halloween, the children. You happen to know anything about this, Cochrane? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season He's watching you, friend, shit. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Trick or treat, trick or treat. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding! <laughs> To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. I want a mask! Can I have a mask? Uh, Just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, Congress? Why? Do I need a reason? I've got nothing here to indicate there was ever a body at all. Operator, this is an emergency. Don't love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. You've got to believe me. They're going to kill us. All of us. Stop it! The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, the Night No One Comes Home. Halloween 3 Season of the Witch is directed by Tommy Lee Wallace and sees him also write the screenplay for here alongside two uncredited writers. First being John Carpenter, the other being Nigel Keneal. And the film stars Tom Atkins as Dr. Daniel Chalice, our main character here, Stacey Melkin as Ellie. Dan O'Hurley, and Michael Curie. So, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch has this real, like, kind of moniker as a kind of a weird spot in horror history. It's an anthology film wrapped alongside one of the biggest baddies of all horror films, Michael Myers. And the big story of Halloween 3 was that John Carpenter didn't really want to make sequels to his original Halloween film, that put Michael Myers on the map. But he became such a popular character that fans almost demanded it be more sequels and movies made about this iconic character. So Halloween 3 was kind of the film that, okay, we're going to stop making Mike Myers movies. We made a second film already, so now we're going to go into where we want to do with these anthology films and kind of tell these one-off stories every Halloween. But after Halloween 3 Season of the Witch... People just wanted to see Mike Myers again, and that's why we see Halloween 4, The Return of Mike Myers, which is a good one, but not one of the better entries in the, the franchise. However, Halloween 3, the easiest comparison, I guess nowadays, is The Incredible Hulk and the MCU. It's a film that it's part of this big franchise, but it feels like a complete black sheep of the bigger scope of this the universe that it's in, and that's what Halloween 3 is. It's definitely the black sheep of this Halloween franchise. I thoroughly enjoy this one, so it's upper it's near the top of my Halloween rating. Not like not top five or anything, but it's it's a really good movie that needs to be watched and understood and kind of enjoyed. Cause I feel like this film right here is if you haven't seen the other Mike Myers films or Halloween movies rather, you can really just jump into this and be entertained by the little story here. Now it's it's a mystery, horror, and sci-fi kind of all wrapped in one in this uh, this film, and it comes in an hour thirty eight minutes, so it kind of goes by really fast and My favorite thing about this I kind of talked about this last week as well is that I really kind of like mysteries into my horror films that they 're not all about the brutal killings and everything all the time. There is some mystery and I play, and so when the kills do happen it's kind of frightening at times and Halloween Three is just that it doesn't rely on those heavy killings, but it's more of a cat and mouse game between our two kind of our hero and our foe, the guy that we're kind of of trying to solve the mystery with, and that's Daniel. And Colonel Cochran is kind of like the evil genius, kind of twirling his mustache, if you will, metaphorically. And it's really kind of interesting to see the plot that they, or this plan that they kind of try to do and pull over, fast one over, over everybody. Essentially, Silver Shamrocks is making these three masks that kids are absolutely wanting to dress up for on Halloween. They play their silver shamrocks jingle, and they say like, they come back on Halloween night. There's gonna be a big giveaway. Make sure you wear your masks. But on the mask, there's a little like like logo on there, and when the jingle does happen on Halloween, it's something bad's gonna happen, and it's gonna be some like radio transmission goes through those masks. Uh, it's it's pretty fascinating, especially when it is revealed what happens. Uh, when the jingle is played alongside the mask, that's a really creepy scene. And it goes again with the practical effects that we were talking about with Poltergeist. It's not as effective as what Poltergeist was able to do, but there was some really kind of morphing of what the mask did to this little kid in the one scene here. When I watched, I've only watched this movie maybe two times now in its entirety. And when the first Halloween came out, um, the David Gordon Green version, I really just wanted to binge the whole series, and this is one I hadn't seen yet. And I had heard, like, oh, this one's not as, as good, but I found myself really enjoying it. And speaking, because of it's an anthology, it's a little different. It takes, takes a different turn with the, the scares and the thrills here that the other films in the franchise you know, go really heavily into. I really liked the mask designs of this. I think Halloween is known for having a specific style of mask. And everybody critiques the Mike Myers mask. But these three masks here are really iconic to me. I really enjoy these masks as a symbol of what kids really would like to dress up as from when I was a kid. And seeing them on the kind of the screen is really just kind of awesome. And it's there's just it's iconic when you see them go trick-or-treating. And when uh, right before Halloween on a Halloween day really cool sequence there uh, the ending sequence alone it's it's kind of gives you a little chills there too uh, it's not the scariest film it's they're not gonna get a whole lot of kills here but it's an effective little mystery uh, horror film here that is entertaining especially if you haven't you know if you're interested in seeing an anthology film go into it as such I uh, don't think it's gonna be like a Mike Myers movie it's interesting that the title is Season of the Witch. I don't know what they would have really called it if um, if they were going to make it today. Uh, overall, I thoroughly enjoy this movie. I think on this rewatch here, I enjoyed uh, comparing the two rewatches I just did with Poltergeist and Halloween 3. I kind of like Poltergeist more than Halloween 3 on the rewatch. It used to be the other way around. I just picked up so much more on the Poltergeist watch, but... Halloween 3 is a, a dang solid watch, especially if you just want an anthology film that has has some spooks and some uh, some horror elements to it, but you're not trying to beat get beat over a dead horse with a bunch of kills. It's a kind of a fun mystery movie that I encourage you guys to check out. Three stars for me. Let's dive into the budget here and talk about that. This film was released... Where is it, Adam? There we go. October 22nd, 1982. So it's coming up on its 40th anniversary. The budget for this movie was only $2,500,000. Bare bones budget there. And the worldwide box office was only $14.4 million. Didn't really make a lot of money. And that's where the backlash came from with wanting Mike Myers back on the big screen. Uh, I'm all for having it back on the big screen. It, it, this one definitely feels like a lower budget film, but, but it comes across rather well, especially after rewatching it. There's some really fun things about it that I really liked. Some of the characters are not like make the, the smartest choices, but it's kind of there's some entertainment to be had. And when it's Halloween time, I, I find myself compelled to watch this one. It It is nominated for a couple awards, no Oscars. Let's, let's dive into those real quick. Yep, it's the Science Fiction Fantasy and Horror Film Awards and it did win for best DVD Blu-ray collection. Uh, yeah, this this award came out in 2015. It's it's an award for the Halloween Complete collection box set. So that's ranging from the first Halloween all the way to Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie. It's a really good box set. That's how I was able to watch it too. So congratulations there. And it also got nominated for Best Poster Art, which I agree with. 1983 poster art was the only award it got nominated for in 83. It's a good, good poster there. So check it out if you are interested in Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Let's dive into our first time watch now, and that is Paul Schrader's. I didn't think you were ready, but you are. I knew it when I saw you with him. Your whole body burns. Make love with me. I'm not like you. Escape the nightmare without me, and I can't escape without you. I'm not like you. Cat People is a fantasy horror thriller directed by Paul Schrader, and the writers of the screenplay are. Alan Ormsby, Paul Strater is uncredited for the screenplay, but it's based off a story by DeWitt Bowden. And our cast is uh, headlined by Natasha Kaczynski, Malcolm McDowell, John Hurd, Annette O'Toole, and Ruby Dee, and our good friend friend of the podcast, Ed Bagley Jr. A really pretty cool cast. Uh, six really talented actors that we can say that we all like certain things about their... Uh, their movies here Uh, if you haven't seen this film and i hadn't really known much i know this is a remake from a a 1940s film i believe and it was one that i seen zach actually rated on it in his top 10 list i don't know if he remembers it at all probably fell asleep because i almost did Uh, but anyway Uh, This film, if you haven't seen it before, the synopsis on IMDb is, A young woman's sexual awakening brings horror when she discovers her urges transform her into a monstrous black leopard. A really uh, intriguing IMDb synopsis here. And I didn't know really what I was expecting going into the film. But as I sat down and watched it, uh, I I was hopeful. I was hopeful for a couple of different things that... It has Malcolm McDowell in it. I am really a huge fan of his. I can watch that guy in ever, anything and everything. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, Clockwork Orange. I can just watch him in Home Alone 4. No, Home Alone 5, he's in that one. The Holiday Heist. He's really good in a TV Home Alone movie, surprisingly. Uh, Malcolm McDowell is really awesome here. And he 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 oozes this natural creepiness with this character. He is the brother in the the film. He's the brother of our main um, actor actress Natasha Kaczynski's character of Irina Galer, um, and Malcolm plays Paul. Uh, Paul basically finds uh, Irina, and there's a creepiness to him, kind of a longing, like he kind of longs for Irina in a real weird sexual tension way, way that it is kind of. It's it's really uh, incestual. It's 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 kind of creepy, and it definitely didn't uh, it, it excite me in any way. It was, it was really gross. But Malcolm McDowell that uh, just does a really good job with what he does in his acting character. He had a really bad haircut in this movie, rather too. I did not like the haircut. One thing that really did really excite me was a really awesome performance by John Hurd as Oliver Yates. He is a veterinarian. He works at a zoo here, which is a very uh, interesting place to have a horror film and he has a really uh, good dynamic with a character netto Tool plays of Alice Perrin. Perrin John Hurd also has a really uh, his character of Oliver has uh, kind of a helper at the zoo played by Ed Bagley Jr. as Joe uh, Joe. Uh, really cool to see him in there. Uh, I don't, I don't, we seem to always deep dive or review movies with him in it. So he should be a friend of the podcast. I should try to get him on, I guess, one day. Uh, really cool to have Ed Bagley there. Uh, but anyway, really, John Hurt, really electric performance here. He really has a charisma here that I haven't really seen. I haven't seen a ton of his movies, Home Alone being the most iconic one I have seen. Uh, another really great performance, by the way, he has a really, an actress that really has a strong look that you're kind of just glued to her when she's on screen. And that is Natasha Kaczynski as Irina. Everything from her eyes is just kind of, you're just glued to her. She kind of just pops off the screen and gives a really great performance here as Irina, this uh, young woman who is a virgin here and there. And she knows that there's something, this weird family dynamic with Paul. Uh, And especially when there is this black leopard going around killing people, she's kind of drawn to it. There's a scene where she's at the zoo where all of her works and is drawing this uh, this leopard, little does she know that's actually Paul. Uh, Something in their family line is like they're able to transform into these leopards and they actually go and kill each other, uh, kill. Different people too. So, survive. That's one of the big things I was kind of drawn in to watch this movie. It's because I was like, oh, I, I like animals, and when animals are incorporated to horror, I kind of like, like Jaws or any like Deep Blue Sea, Forty Seven Meters Down to Anaconda. Those kind of like animal horror films are rather fun. In a campy way, I, I thought this was going to take it pretty seriously with Paul Schrader. There, it it just does. It plays it super close to the vest. it, it is a a slow moving movie. I, it, it says it's a horror film, but it's horror esque. There is horror themes here that are effective, and, and and what I mean by that is the very first kill is of Ed Bagley Jr. here by uh, Paul's leopard here ca- character. And, but that kill doesn't come in until 45 minutes in. Now keep in mind, this movie is two hours. So basically a little over halfway, we get our very first uh, main kill here. And it's effective. It's really good. And it has that really a practical effect of him, him getting his arm ripped off by this leopard. Really cool effect there. Uh, but the movie also doesn't know what it wants to do. It tries to be... Uh, it, it tries, it, it teases you with Malcolm McDowell trying to transform into the leopard. So it shows his hand with some leopard bursting out of it slowly or at least cracking, but it doesn't have the balls to actually pull it, pull it off. Or did I a little, actually, I say that, but it actually does at the very end, there is a really cool shot with Irina turning into this leopard here. Really awesome, uh, sequence that definitely reminded me of the thing, uh, American uh, werewolf, in Paris, it had similarities to that movie. Uh, there's a really cool autopsy scene that John Hurd John Hurd does do on this leopard here. Uh, really kind of fascinating stuff. Stuff that really should work in a horror movie, but it, the movie is so obsessed with having kind of like this sexual tension throughout that the it's so slow and methodical that, but it doesn't build any tension. But when you do see these moments, you're really excited for them. Uh, these these more horror moments, are excited for them, but overall, I'm just kind of left wanting more with this movie. A lot of people do like this remake here, uh, and and I, I want to really like it. it just, it's just really slow and bogged down, and it, it, it I don't know the incestual nature of the film too it, with uh, Malcolm McDowell and, uh, and Natasha Kaczynski here uh i i wanted i guess it needed to be fleshed out more but i don't want the movie to be any longer because it felt like it was almost two and a half hours long uh maybe i'm just not a big paul strader fan um zach i think gave it like three and a half stars or something like that i, I don't know let I me mean, double check i am uh are almost sideways <laughs> uh podcast or website here let's take a look here we're going to our top 10 list uh let's see Cap people no, it was number eight and he had it three stars. Okay, I do apologize. There he give it three stars. Well, I'm giving it two stars. Uh, I think I'm giving it two stars because there are some things that are effective about it. Overall, though, I'm just I'm left wanting a little bit more of that horror elements because it is a horror fantasy. and, and I guess here's another thing here. And if you're listening to this, I made an MCU comparison before with, uh, with Halloween three. Making another one here. There's a, se- a clear sequence in this movie that came out in '82 that they show a tree full of black leopards, leopards, right? With a red like fluorescent lighting, like all background. They did the same sequence in Black Panther, but it was purple instead of red. A family tree with leopards, a family tree with panthers. It's, uh, granted, I don't know when Black Panther first came out in the comics. but at the same time, it, it seems real like, is that the, uh, is that the, are we getting cat people with like a referencing in Black Panther? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Black Panther came out in the first episode that he appeared in was Fantastic For number 52. 50- in july 1966 so i don't ever claim to be a big comic book expert or anything like that but really weird comparison if those two movies have something like a comparison they're very similar in those little dream sequences and they're dream sequences too that's the, the craziest part but anyway okay back i just i vented i had a vent a little bit i'm sorry the movie kind of frustrated me a little bit but i'm giving it a two-star let's go into the box office here and we are it came out of april 2nd 1982 at an 18 million dollar budget and talk about this is probably the the lowest gross that I've seen of any movie it only made seven million dollars at the box office so it lost money I can see why unfortunately you're just the only thing really I liked about the movie was the performance of Natasha Kaczynski and John Hurd specifically really good performance by him Uh, Got nominated for three nominations let's take a look here Uh, science fiction fantasy and horror awards it was nominated for uh, Natasha Kaczynski. The Golden Globes. Here we go. They, they like Paul Strader movies, apparently. First reform I'm looking at you. Uh, Best Original Score. Motion Picture for a nominee. And Best Original Song. Motion Picture nominee for a David Bowie theme. The theme for Cat People. Perfect. The David Bowie theme for Cat People. Nice. Anyway, two stars, Cat People. All right. That's my little quick rant on the 1982 horror movies. I really do appreciate you guys... Uh, Appreciate you guys listening to the episode. Uh, I really enjoyed the parts of every movie that I watched this week and just wish I wanted to, li- I wanted to like Cat People more. It seemed like something that would be really interesting. It just, it just really fell flat for me, unfortunately. But next week should be a really awesome episode. We're going to go back to 1997. Two first-time watches next week and one iconic uh, rewatch. We're kicking it off with Scream 2. We have Mimic, a del Toro film, and we have the cult classic, Wishmaster, really excited to dive into 1997 next week. So come back, watch some scary movies with me, and we'll see you next.